The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 297. Yeah, 297 for Wednesday, June 10th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming and entertainment over the course of two days on wednesday nights we do mma and wrestling on thursdays we do gaming and entertainment as always you can watch the live stream on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv you can also listen via mixler either via the mixler player on mtrlive.com or via the mixler app available for android and ios devices If you were watching video on the GFQ stream, you can also use the GFQ app available on Roku, Fire TV, Android TV, and of course on Apple TV via the Daily Motion app. But unfortunately this week, Andrew was unavailable, so there is not a stream on GFQ. But if you are on mtrlive.com, we are testing a stream on that page using a new provider called Restream which should, in essence, be simulcasting this show to a couple of different providers, including StreamUp, uh, Twitch, and a couple of other places. Again, we're testing it out for this episode. I'm going to try and work the bugs out, but I've heard good things. If you are watching via mtrlive.com, let me know if the video player on the bottom is playing and if you guys can see video. Of course, there is no video feed on the GFQ player, so make a note of that. If you are on mtrlive.com, just mute that player or stop it and either use the Mixler player or check the stream up player on the bottom. Of course, the chat still is usable for this show, even though I am working on an alternative chat because I've been getting a decent number of complaints from some of you. So we are going to remedy that in the coming weeks. Right now, we are testing out the alternate video stream. If you guys are on mtrlive.com, by all means, please let me know. And um, let me know the quality of the video, how it looks, etc. Definitely need to know that. All right, so a couple of things since our last show, which after after we wrapped up that show, which obviously we already had issues with the video feed, um, 
we had a huge amount of problems with RageWorks.net, and I mean a litany of problems, plug-in issues, coding issues, uh, issues with the developers, issues with just all kinds of stuff. And because of that, it derailed the show last week and kind of put a change into MTR 300's schedule. Uh, a couple of things with regards to that. Uh, there are shows this week, obviously tonight's show, which is 297, tomorrow's show, which is 298. There will be a show on the 17th that is 299. There will not be a show on the 18th because we will be covering an event, so there will not be a show for that, and there will not be a show the following week because of Consumer Electronics Week 1 and my birthday being 2. So episode uh, 299, like I said, is the 17th, and episode 300 of My Take Radio will be July 1st. Again, July 1st is episode 300 of My Take Radio, and um, we're still working on what we're going to do. Hopefully, we will have further information with regards to that in the coming weeks. Uh, a couple of other announcements. Of course, our coverage from Special Edition NY is on RageWorks.net. Tons of photos there. Tons of photos on the fan page as well. And, of course, on social media if you are following us that way. Uh, there is some video that I'm still working on in editing, which will be on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash official RageWorks. So be on the lookout for that. The other thing, for those of you that have been asking, we did start testing a Facebook group for RageWorks. Thus far, it's been very successful. We have a lot of engagement in there. And if all goes, goes according to plan, perhaps by episode 300, I will open up that Facebook group to all listeners. Um, I'll give you guys the links and you guys can participate with some of our regulars and, of course, a lot of new additions as well that the staff have brought into the fold. Again, uh, be on the lookout for that by episode 300. If the group continues to run the way it has, we will make that available that you know for that episode or that week. Uh, a couple of other things which I did want to put out there. For those of you that are still following our Facebook fan pages, please note that we are still going to keep updating those. We're still going to try and engage with you that way, but the groups just give us a more direct connection. We are not abandoning either page. Our content will continue to be posted there. Our staff will continue to interact on those pages, so those pages will remain active. For those of you that have been asking about Periscope, I have been doing some Periscope tests on and off uh, since last week. I've done just a couple of brief uh, little things with Periscope, nothing crazy. Uh, the goal is perhaps... If not for next week, then maybe for the episode 300, we're actually going to do the show and also do it via Periscope and take questions that way. So we're going to do a couple of different things. We're actually uh, going to have a question of the day going forward now that our group is actually interacting and engaging. So we're going to get into that later on in this segment. But uh, a couple of other things, um, like I said, site is up and running if you are on mtrlive.com, let me know how the video stream looks via StreamUp. As far as I know, it is. it appears to be streaming. I'd, li I'd like to say that it is, but, you know, sometimes shit just doesn't work. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna assume it is working. I know that some of those other providers have chat rooms, and if you guys are in those chat rooms from other providers, head over to mtrlive.com. We got a full chat in there. And you guys can all interact, and I'll interact with you guys, of course, throughout the show. 
All right, so what do we got on deck for tonight? We're going to be talking about this past weekend's UFC event. We are going to get into the MMA news of the week, and we're going to discuss this past Monday's Raw. I did not get to watch NXT yet, and um, I was actually wrapping up Impact before we went on air, so I'll be able to touch on that stuff next week when I'm able to get the, the schedule back to normal. So next week we'll talk about NXT, Impact, and of course, Ring of Honor, which I actually saw the first episode last week since we couldn't do a show, and I was really, really impressed with what I saw. In any case, huh, Slick just told me stream up says offline, and he refreshed. Hmm, interesting. Thank you, Slick. You know what? Before we jump into MMA this week, let me try, uh, let me try shutting that off and just trying stream up. All right, Slick, can you refresh and let me know if it's up and running before we jump into the uh, the MMA news of the week? I mean, I see that the uh, CPU's running a little a little heavy, which I hopefully don't want to fuck up the video for this week. So um, in any case, I will await to see what Slick says before we jump into MMA for this week. Well, you know what? While he is checking that out, we'll get that ball rolling. So let's get to it. As always, My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all your favorite fighter tees and training gear and tons more at MMAWarehouse.com. I usually go there to pick up some of my MMA shirts, uh, usually fighter-specific ones, uh, RVCA, uh, Bad Boy. All your your favorite fighter apparel is available at MMAWarehouse.com. And best of all, we get promo codes that we share on RageWorks.net. Plus, we put banner ads as well that give you guys promo code. So if you click them, they'll actually help us out. And, you know, a couple, a couple of bucks get tossed our way. But in any event, look for those banners throughout the site and feel free to use them for any of the promo codes that we are able to offer you guys. All right, so let's jump into the big one this past weekend's UFC Fight Night 68, which, of course, everyone was watching with much interest because Dan Henderson was getting back into the cage um, you know, Dan Henderson, everybody's been trying to write him off for quite some time. And the thing with, with a guy like Dan Henderson, same thing with Randy Couture. These guys, these guys are old school warriors. They really have no problem mixing it up with some of these young guys. And when they do realize that the sport is passing them by, I think that they've become pretty self-aware in regards to just hanging it up. I mean, Randy Couture did that. And a lot of people are really pushing it on Hendo, but I think Hendo still has gas left in the tank. I mean, BJ Penn, again, another fighter, he was self-aware. He realized that he had, you know, he had a, an opportunity and he took it and it was a beautiful, beautiful performance. But before we get into that fight, I do want to talk about a couple of other fights. I do want to talk about the lightweight fight between Yancey Medeiros and Dustin Poirier, which ended in a beautiful, beautiful fashion for Dustin Poirier, he actually secured the victory with a liver kick that wobbled Yancey Medeiros, at which point um, he backed Medeiros into the fence, and he just started unloading on him until the ref stepped in. Beautiful performance, uh, TKO via body kick and punches, 2 minutes 38 seconds 
of round number one. Again, a great performance. Dustin Poirier never disappoints. He either goes out on his shield or he delivers an amazing, amazing fight. The other fight that everyone was talking about, and I actually didn't get to see it live. I had to actually watch it on the DVR to see what it was, what, how it went down, was Matt Mitrione and Ben Rothwell. Now, of course, uh, Matt Mitrione ranked number 13, Rothwell ranked number 9. Um, everybody always felt, has always felt that guys like Rothwell and Mitrione have incredible potential in the heavyweight division. I mean, Ben Rothwell, I remember watching him fight in the IFL, which was the uh, team-based MMA promotion that had different teams led by different veterans, and it was competed in a more uh, team atmosphere. They had jerseys and cool logos, and it, it was all right for what it was. But a lot of guys came out of that IFL league that be, end up, ended up becoming household names or recognized in the sport. And Ben Rothwell is one of those guys that everybody watched him in the IFL, and they were like, you know, Rothwell definitely has the tools. He has the potential to be a force in the heavyweight division, but it's always hit and miss his performances. His personality left a lot to be desired, but with this fight with Matt Mitrione, we got to see something different. First of all, we got to see some beautiful submission technique out of Ben Rothwell. He actually utilized a front guillotine to tap out Matt Mitrione in, the, in a minute and 54 seconds of the first round, which was tremendous, but it was after he won that he jumped in front of the mic and cut a really crazy, crazy, insane promo with a with a villainous laugh to close things out. I mean, it wasn't something that would be utterly memorable except for the fact that it was incredibly weird and incredibly awkward considering that Ben Rothwell is a pretty humble, normal guy that comes in, you know, thanks his coaches, thanks his camp, and goes about his business, but... As I've said in previous episodes and in numerous conversations with Ben, we are in a situation with with the sport of we are in a situation with the sport of mixed martial arts where the guys who need to stand out have to work harder because the household names that the organization wants people to be aware of are always going to be showcased front and center. Think about it. In the heavyweight division, you already know that when you speak heavyweights, you're talking about guys like Fabricio Verdum, Cain Velasquez, who actually square off this weekend to unify the titles. We're talking about guys like Conor McGregor, uh, you know, individuals like Ronda Rousey, um, Anderson Silva, even though obviously he's going through his issues, Nick Diaz, George St. Pierre. And again, in that shuffle are the guys that come in there, have great performances and just go under the radar. And what's happening is with the, with the Reebok deal on the horizon and the mainstream press fighters have to go the extra mile to get noticed, to get out there, to get in front of management, to get more attractive positioning on the cards. And Rothwell, even though it was awkward and kind of creepy and weird, he did something different that got everyone talking. Every website, every MMA website or, or mainstream sports site acknowledged his craziness. Either, hey, those crazy UFC guys are at it again, or... In the case of org of sites that are in the know, they're like, oh, Ben Rothwell is really just trying to, you know, set himself apart from all the other heavyweights. I mean, Matt Mitrione's another guy who, you know, a talented guy, but just very, not one-dimensional, but just like, oh, it's Matt Mitrione, you know, it's Meathead or whatever. That's it. Like, there's nothing that, that jumps out, you know? There's not a, there's not an intangible, like, like a guy like Rampage, casual fans... Veteran fans, everyone knows who Rampage is. Everyone. Same thing with, with Anderson Silva. Same thing with George St. Pierre. 
I mean, I knew casual guys. I, one of the guys I work with, he knew he knew George St. Pierre. And the only reason that he really knew about him was because he saw him fight Captain America in uh, Winter Soldier. And he was like, hey, is that guy a fighter? And I'm like, yeah, he's fought in the UFC. He was, you know, one of the most dominant competitors while he competed. And, of course, you know, they go, they YouTube, they see some of his stuff, and they're like, oh, this guy's pretty awesome. And that's how it goes. It's, it's, it's a very, very interesting time for mixed martial arts. And I've talked to a couple of friends of mine, and they feel that MMA has kind of lost a step. Lost a step. And I, I'm, a little, I'm a little inclined to agree, only because it feels like every weekend there's four or five cards from different organizations plus the UFC – and what ends up happening is it's sensory overload. Like, I got to see the, um, the RFA fight with uh, Gilbert Smith, who's been on the show. He actually won uh, a title in RFA, and congrats to Gilbert on that. He's actually going to be on the show in a couple of weeks once we pin down a date. But the fact is that, you know, you have RFA, World Series of Fighting, UFC, Bellator, which actually Bellator has a, a card next weekend which everyone's been talking about, which is Kimbo Slice and Ken Shamrock. But that's what I'm saying. Look at the names that are being tossed around. Kimbo Slice, Ken Shamrock. You know, guys who, don't get me wrong, they've had, they've had their moment in the sun in the sport of, excuse me, in the sport of mixed martial arts. But when you're looking at a guy like Ken Shamrock, for instance, this guy, bona fide Hall of Famer, the guy is, is world-renowned, recognized wherever he goes, still fighting. And a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, he's going in there with a guy like Kimbo Slice who has tremendous knockout power. Because he does. Whether, whether you love Kimbo or you hate him, you have to respect the guy's, the guy's hands. He puts guys to sleep. But everybody looks at this fight not so much as a veteran fighter versus, you know, an up-and-comer. But they look at it as internet tough guy versus, you know, MMA dinosaur. And, I, and I've heard that. I've heard that a lot this week. Just a lot of people like, you know, what's Ken doing? Why is he going out there trying to get himself killed? You know, what's, why is Kimbo taking this fight? Because if Ken taps him, it's just going to ruin any mystique that he had. And I've realized that the problem with that is that that is, the, that is what the expectation is. But it's a fight that screams freak show. We all, we all want to watch it. We all want to check it out. Any casual MMA fan, and hell, any veteran MMA fan that I've spoke to about that particular card says to me, you know what, I want to check it out because you never know. A guy like Kimbo Slice may go in there and he may show us something different and get back on the UFC's radar. Or they may say Ken Shamrock still has, show, has gas in the tank and he should fight. They should do another fight with him and Tito. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not want to see a fight between old Tito and and old Ken Shamrock. I don't want to do it, but you know that Bellator would put that together because Scott Coker loves to do shit like that, and we would tune in, plus the buildup and the mainstream exposure, even though it's going to be completely circus-like, is going to make people want to tune in and check it out. Same rules apply if, if Kimbo Slice comes out the victor and they, put a, they try to put a fight be together between you know him and Tito or him and Bonner or who knows, you know, any of these guys. And that's going to raise a lot of questions about Bellator as an organization and how viable they are in terms of really maximizing the talent they have because Bellator doesn't have a shitty roster. They got a lot of talented guys there. 
And of course, with the Reebok deal, I have a feeling that their roster is going to grow immensely because even now that Dana White has kind of talked his way through the Reebok deal and some fighters are co-signing to the deal, the majority of the fighters that are putting that are putting their, their thoughts out there are still not digging it. They're still not feeling comfortable with this deal, especially when guys are coming into the organization making, you know, $100,000 in sponsorship money, hundred and fifty. And now they're maybe clearing $25,000 or $20,000 out of which, and I've talked about this before, you got to pay training partners, you got to pay dietitians, uh, transportation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And before you know it, you're fighting for peanuts. And again, that's not to say that the UFC, and I've said this before, isn't going to look out for those guys, but it's, it's not a good time. Anyway, of course, the main event from the Fight Night card, I really kind of went off the rails a little bit. My apologies. Uh, the main event, Dan Henderson, Tim Bosch, uh, tremendous fight. Uh, Dan Henderson, of course, beautiful knockout, 28 seconds of round one. And the thing, the thing that gets me is that Dan Henderson was a guy who participated in, in you know, he used TRT at one point. And the guy was an Olympian. The guy was a two-division champion, uh, two-weight class champion. And every time he goes in there, he just he just puts his puts his you know his teeth in, puts his mouth guard on, and goes to work. And the thing that gets me about this entire you know Dan Henderson's career is that people just say, "Damn, Dan Henderson's still going." And the thing is, Dan Henderson's gonna keep going until Dan Henderson decides that it's time to retire. Because that's what it is. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, a middleweight, the middleweight is middleweight division is full of a lot of killers. You know, Dan Henderson is going to get lost in the shuffle. He's going to start losing to these guys. Dan Henderson continues to train and continues to evolve. And again, he still has a puncher's chance. And that's what people don't realize. If Dan Henderson was getting knocked out left and right, then there'd be a cause for concern. But Dan Henderson, his losses have been, you know, they've been, they haven't been terrible. But they haven't been they they haven't exactly been losses where you go, oh my god, that guy got years knocked out of his life. I mean, he's had fights, you know, he's had wars with Shogun, he's had wars with a lot of these guys, and yes, they they've definitely taken their toll on him, but he's still uh, an elite class fighter. Dan Henderson now is just as dangerous, if not more dangerous, because he's a crafty veteran than Dan Henderson two years ago. I mean, don't get me wrong, his highlight reel knockout. Of, of Michael Bisping will live on in, in, in the history of mixed martial arts because it was just devastating. But the fact is that Dan Henderson is not just the H-bomb. The guy's a, a tremendous wrestler, uh, a great counterpuncher, and he knows how to go in there and utilize all the tools at his disposal. Too many guys are coming in, and yeah, they're mixing up all their disciplines and utilizing them effectively, but they're not maximizing them like a guy like Dan Henderson does. Dan Henderson still throws his wrestling in there along with his striking. He's one of the few guys that really likes to use his wrestling both offensively and defensively when needed. If guys want to go out there and stand with him, he's more than willing to do that too because you know he doesn't give a shit and he knows that I'd like to say the majority of the time he's going to go out there and put somebody to sleep with the H-bomb. That that's that's just facts. But again, I was really happy to see him win just because so many people were quick, were quick to write him off. 
And the guy's 30 and 13 going into this fight. And he was fighting Tim Bosch, who was ranked number 13. He was 18 and 8. And Hendo, again, just went out there and, and you know, put his put his foot forward and went to work. And he delivered. And, of course, everybody, you know, everybody jumps in. And they're like, oh, my God, the real Dan Henderson showed up. And it's like, and I've said this before, nothing is more annoying than that. Everyone has an off night. Everyone has a great night. It's not about the real Dan Henderson or the Dan Henderson of old. It's just the fact that Dan Henderson has ridiculous hands. And Tim Bosch learned that the hard way. And the funny thing is that, you know, Bosch had a one-inch, re- you know, he was one-inch taller, and but they have identical reach. So as the fight was, was you know, starting to, to, to take shape, you saw that Henderson was just ready to drop him with the right hand. And at that point, that's what it was. You know, he, uh, Bosch, Bosch wasn't, he knew that the right hand was there, but I kind of, I, I kind of felt he didn't respect the power that he should have, you know, the way you should have, because you shouldn't sit there and try to take that shot. You should try and avoid that shot at all costs, because that's what people don't understand. Everybody's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to train to take the H bomb. No, because you could get rattled anyway. You know, if you get hit at a certain angle and you, you're still going to get rattled. And that's what happened. You know, Bosch gets, he got aggressive. He went in and when Henderson cracked him with the right and he saw that he wobbled, he pounced on him immediately. And that was it. You know, when, when he saw that there was already a, a slight hesitation and a slight wobble, that, that imminent right hand just came back in and it, it was lights out at that point. And that again, goes back to what I said before. It's not about which Dan Henderson showed up. It's the fact that you, you go out there you don't respect the right hand, it's going to put you to sleep. It has a great track record. You got to respect it. Simple as that. But overall, a pretty decent card. I, I, I'll admit, I watched the bulk of the card on Fast Forward, not because I didn't give a fuck about the fights, but just because, you know, I had I had in my mind, oh, I want to watch these these three fights, which I did. And then I went back and watched the others. And again, I'm not going to sit here and do the full play-by-play anymore because you guys, by by this point know what went down but like i said pretty decent card this weekend kane and verdum we're going to talk about that but let's get into the other mma news of the week all right so first things first fight bonuses 50 grand got handed out who got it sean jordan got it dustin poyer and fight of the night went to brian ortega and tiago Tavares. they all took fifty thousand dollars i am shocked that Henderson didn't get a performance bonus because that knockout was vicious. But in any case, the guys that did get it, they did earn it for their performances as well. Now, before we took our brief break due to all our technical issues, we I was, um, you know, I shared my thoughts on what the UFC is invoking for, you know, doping and for, you know, to work with the commission. But Another thing that I that I mentioned that not too many people were really it hasn't been talked about as much is the fact that the UFC is trying to implement a better program for the, to prevent injuries because if there's one thing that has hurt a lot of UFC cards over the last couple of months have been injuries. Some have been injuries that can't be avoided, some have been injuries that obviously, you know, they 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 happen but the injuries that just happen for, for, for bullshit reasons, you know, maybe yeah, uh, sparring went a little harder than it should have or things like that where 
an entire card gets derailed because a guy was sparring and, you know, he breaks his hand or he tears a ligament. So the funny thing is MMA Junkie interviewed um, Lawrence Epstein, who's the UFC's chief operating officer, and they were actually talking about the UFC's plan to reveal a to, to un- unveil, excuse me, a health plan for its fighters. So obviously the first thing being the drug testing initiative, which they're going to be taking, but they're also going to unveil a health program to protect the fighters even more so, which I think is great because if there's one thing that we've seen that has been a huge trend over the last couple of months have been guys getting injured, especially a guy like Cain Velasquez being injured, and it's not even a small injury. It's an injury that, you know, a a, a knee injury or a shoulder injury, you know, things that that aren't going to delay the fight for weeks. They're going to end up delaying the fight for months. So he actually said that um, this brand-new facility and this brand-new program that they're working on is going to cost, obviously, millions of dollars, but they're going to improve, you know, all the training methods and all the health care for the fighters. Um, What they're saying is that they're going to open up a full-time training and rehabilitation center in Las Vegas which they'll be able to go there, train and rehabilitate after an injury takes place, plus get educated on the latest and greatest training techniques. Of course, building that facility is the bigger part of that initiative. And that, you know, love or hate the UFC, I think that it's a step in the right direction because, again, there's, there's so many variables for injuries. You have, you know, prehab when you're coming off the injury and starting to get ready. You have the rehab portion. Plus, there's also just, again, just changes in, in training methodology. And sometimes we all go hard in the gym. Most of us that are gym rats, we have those days where, you know, we got a couple of good meals in. We got our eight or nine hours of sleep. We feel like a million bucks. And we go in there in the gym and we kill it. And sometimes we, we end up paying the price. We, we hurt ourselves just because our form isn't strict or we try something new and don't warm up properly. I mean, shit happens all the time. And for fighters that... The thing that bothers me is the fact that a lot of fighters are ending up on the shelf because of of injuries that are just really, really devastating. You know, ACL, MCL, uh, rotator cuff, breaking their hand, just really, really crazy shit that, like I said, isn't something that will derail a fight for two weeks or three weeks. No, this is stuff where a guy's on the shelf for seven months or a guy's on the shelf for eight months. Oh, we got to put out an interim title. And, And what's happening is that these fighters, they're spending more time on the shelf than spending than they're spending in the cage. And the UFC, of course, the athletes being the cash cows that they are, are, are you know, priority one. Again, some coaches are already saying that, you know, they don't want to be told how they should or shouldn't train their athletes. And I understand that and I respect that. But you also got to remember when your athletes are the champions in their respective divisions, you can't just go out there and, and try some crazy shit just because you, you, you saw it or you want to implement it. Save that shit for, for you know, not training camp or when the guy's not a champion. Because some of these injuries, like I said, some of them are legitimate. And some of them just have happened because of carelessness. I mean, Cain Velasquez's knee injury, I, you know, Dana White's been very vocal about Dana White's injury. Um, um, Cain Velasquez's injuries to the point where he, he's kind of spoken ill about his camp. And I'm not going to say he's right or wrong. But again, there needs to be there needs to be something more formal in place, especially 
for rehabilitation and getting fighters ready because too many of these guys, they, they come back and within six months they're injured again. And sometimes it's either the same injury or an injury on the other limb, especially with knee injuries, which I've seen happen quite a bit where one guy tears his ACL, comes back, ready to go, fights for six months, maybe eight months, and then, boom, tears the other ACL or injures the other knee in some capacity. And then before you know it, guy's on the shelf again. I actually have to commend the UFC for taking the initiative for this and also for their their stricter drug testing, only because the stricter drug testing is something that really shows that they're taking this stuff seriously. But, as I've said before, even though the drug testing is stricter, there are always ways around it. But, at least on paper, it looks like the UFC actually gives a shit. All right, so, while speaking of TRT and, and you know, health benefits, we all know that right before his fight with Weidman, Vitor Belfort was a shell of his former self. Of course, everyone was quick to say that once you took the Vitor off the TRT, that he was not the same fighter. And to a degree, I, I, I have to I have to agree with, with what a lot of people are saying because he looked totally, totally different, totally out of his element, and totally outmatched by Chris Weidman, which leads me to this new announcement that Weidman will be defending his title against Luke Rockhold next, which a lot of people felt that, you know, it was, it was probably going to be either Rockhold or, or Jacare, but Rockhold and Weidman are probably the, the better bet. And the reason I say this is because there's, there's more of a story there. You have a guy that, you know, came out of strike force, was an incredible athlete in strike force, came into the UFC, couldn't really get started right away, started chaining his wins together, but obviously ended up on, on, on the end of a highlight reel finish from Vitor, which of course definitely put a chip on his shoulder. I think Rockhold and Weidman can sell the fight. I also think that it's a fight that you can't say Weidman can win easily because Rockhold is a very, very well-rounded fighter. He has great striking, um, definitely a, a veteran in, in avoiding the sprawl and avoiding the takedown, and I'm sure he's going to work with, with guys like Daniel Cormier to ensure that he's ready for that fight. Again, that's not to say that I'm writing, that I'm writing off uh, Weidman in any capacity you know, or discounting Rockhold's submission game, but I also feel that both guys have have a lot to gain from this fight. If Weidman beats Rockhold decisively, he can silence the critics that feel that he is a circumstantial champion, which I want to discuss later on. If it's Rockhold, in Rockhold's case, he gets to validate the fact that he is that he still is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters on the planet and that he was able to crack the mystique of Chris Weidman. Again, these are things that people look at on paper and they say to themselves, yeah, but you know, Rockhold, do you really want Rockhold and Weidman to fight? Because that shit's going to be boring. We're not even talking about boring. We are talking about guys that can sell fights. And don't get me wrong, Jacare is an amazing fighter and he could definitely go out there and prove quite the challenge for Weidman. But we're also looking at it from the rumor that they want to get the UFC in the garden and they want Weidman to fight on that card. So if that truly is the case, 
then you want to ensure that there's a guy that's able to go out there and do the press and do the Good Morning America and do the Tonight Show and do this and do that. Again, no disrespect to Jacare, but you want to go out there and have a guy that can that can mix it up in the media and look good while doing it. Val in the chat says circumstantial. Wow. Yep, I'm going to get into that and you'll be and you won't be shocked at who said that. I'll get into that later on in the segment. The next bit of news is something that shocked even me and I say this because I don't, Bellator never cuts fighters. I almost feel like guys fight in Bellator forever and then their contracts are up and they leave. But in this case, Bellator actually did swing the axe and took a few heads in the process. Bloody Elbow reports that the following fighters were released from Bellator. Uh, Sokaju, Rafael Silva, Antonio Duarte, Alejandro Villalobos, Jesse Juarez, Curtis Millender, uh, Razak Al-Hassan, and Julio Cesar Neves. Now, I was really shocked with Sokaju getting cut because he was still 2-1 in Bellator right now. I mean, had he lost another fight, another fight, maybe. But, you know, a guy like Sokaju, he's a, he's a guy that everybody felt was the future of this sport. And again, he had his high points. But for every high point he had, he had a lot of low points in the process. And because of that, I really am not shocked. But I'm sure that a guy like Sokaju... He can go to RFA, he can go to World Series of Fighting, he can fight on some of the smaller shows and make his way back. He's a young guy, has he's still very, very talented, he has you know really solid striking, but he just needs to get with a good team and a good camp, and I think he'll do better. That The thing that bothers me with a guy like Sokaju is that he didn't get to showcase his, his skills effectively in Bellator, especially during the older regime. I mean, now this, that Coker is there... They should have at least given him one more fight before swinging the axe, but unfortunately, that is the case. Another another sad bit of news, and this is actually something that I know a couple of guys are going to be bummed out about. Um, at UFC Fight Night 68, Brian Ebersole, uh suffered a knee injury in the first round of his fight with Amari Akhmedov and could not answer the bell for the second round. This was his 70th MMA fight. Unfortunately, um, after the fight, he did announce his retirement, and he said, I'm old, everything hurts, a lifetime of wrestling takes its toll on you, getting your head pulled, your knees banged up, I'm going to leave it to the young guys now, that's it for me. And again, this is something that I was talking about earlier on in the segment about self-awareness, you know, about fans and, and analysts and pundits quickly jumping in to write guys off or saying that guys are on the way out. And yeah, sometimes you got to get in there and nudge a guy out the door because for his well-being, you know, you want to you want to protect his well-being for his family. Chuck Liddell, we're looking at you. But, you know, the you have to really let the fighter make that determination unless, like I said, it's at a point where it's beyond beyond the scope of safety and the guy has to be let go or or forced to retire for his own well-being. Now, you know, for a guy like Ebersol, the guy has 70 fights on his record. 70. His 70th MMA fight. And any way you slice it, it's, you know, it's just it's just crazy. You know, the guy, he was four and three in the UFC going in. And, you know, with 70 fights under his belt, I'm sure everything hurts and all those nagging little injuries that are that are definitely bothersome as we get older. You know, it's it's crazy. And you know, I wish him the best of luck. He he's always been entertaining when he fought in the UFC and uh, I'm hoping now he can, you know, transition and maybe coach or 
be an analyst because he is he is an entertaining guy. He has good presence and he's well versed and has a firm understanding of the sport. So we'll see what happens. But nonetheless, best of luck to Ebersol and whatever he does. Um, he definitely entertained me as a fan during his tenure in the UFC. All right. So as I said earlier, when I was speaking about Weidman, I said that uh, fighter was saying that Weidman is a circumstantial champion, circumstantial. And you're probably asking yourself who the hell would say that considering the performances he's had. Well, it's a guy that it shouldn't be as nobody should be surprised has said what he said. And it's not Chael. It is actually Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping had an interview recently with MMA Junkie, and when he was when he was asked about Chris Weidman, he was asked about not being sold on Weidman as a champion. He said, and I quote, "No offense to Chris, and I say this to him all the time as well. So he's probably like, I'm sick of Bisping, but I say all the time, it's been very circumstantial for him." When asked to elaborate, he said. With regards to Weidman's title run, Mark Munoz came back after a long layoff and had a terrible performance. He beat Munoz. Then Chris laid out for two years or something like that, injured, then came back and got a title shot. Anderson Silva acted like an idiot, and he beat him for the title. These are Bisping's exact words. Then Anderson broke his leg in the rematch. Okay. Then Lyoto Machida came back, and I didn't think that fight was very good. Rockhold showed that Machida isn't necessarily maybe what everybody thought he was. And then, of course, Vitor. Weidman gets to fight Vitor off the juice. So that's, that's the logic that Bisping is using to say that Weidman is a circumstantial champion. To, you know, to, to the layman, it may look that way, but I am going to put it out there like this. Mark, his victory over Mark Munoz, you can take it or leave it. His victory over Anderson Silva, yes, Anderson Silva did hang his chin out there like an asshole, and he got put to sleep. But still, he did beat him. A loss is a loss. The, the leg break, again, Anderson Silva broke his leg. Crazy freak occurrence. Gotcha. No problem. Fighting Machida. Machida, even though Bisping says that Machida's not what, what everybody thought he was, Machida is and always will be one of the best uh, counterfighters in the game. Regardless, the, the guy, yes, people have figured him out in his quote-unquote elusive fighting style, but he's still one of the best counterfighters in the game and still a, still, still a threat in any weight class. And, of course, talking about Vitor being off the juice, Vitor being on the juice or being off the juice had nothing to do with Weidman and the circumstances there. It had to do with a governing body executing the that TRT exemptions were no longer going to apply. So he had you know he had nothing to do he had nothing to do with that. Nothing. It was straight commission and, and organization. Val says they didn't talk shit when John fought Machida and that's what I'm saying. It's the thing that gets me is you know Bisping Bisping is saying what he's saying because I think he's trying to, you know, angle himself a, a fight in the future. And that's fine. But sometimes you hear shit like that and you're like, okay, dude, like what have you been doing lately that has been so great? But gets better. He said, 
I respect Chris. Of course I do. He's a fantastic family man, fighter, and a great champion. Circumstances have allowed Chris to look like Superman, and I want to prove that I can be his kryptonite. See? Again, angling for a fight, trying to get himself out there. This is Bisping does this on the regular, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes people just go, there's Bisping being a dick. He, he posed a lot of interesting points. Again, he posed a lot of interesting points, but at the end of the day, going in there and, and talking shit about a guy who, yeah, fate, you know, fate intervened and it, it paved the way for him to become champion. But that doesn't mean that he could not have become champion in any case. A lot of people say, what if he would have fought the Anderson Silva that was, you know, 110% in the game, you know, in the early years? There's a lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda scenarios. We can all talk about them as fans. But at the end of the day, the guy is champion. And he said it when he won his fight. He's like, you know, it's like, yo, I'm coming out here and I'm trying to do what I got to do. And that's great. And I respect, I respect Weidman. I mean, he's a, he's, a local, he's a local guy and he's a great ambassador for the sport. I never understood why, you know, I never understood why the UFC never utilized him as an ambassador for their sport. You know, family man, a guy from a great background. He's well-spoken. You know, he's a, he's a guy that you should have out there. That's, that's where I stand with regards to Chris Weidman. With regards to him and, and winning the title, I do feel that fate played a big part in that, but that doesn't mean that he couldn't have won the title anyway. At the end of the day, Anderson Silva got knocked the fuck out. Did it matter that, you know, did it matter that he hung his face out there to get knocked out? Depends on who you ask, but getting knocked out is still getting knocked out. The leg break, that, that one, of course, is questionable. But he did beat Machida, and Machida was considered a guy that was going to defeat him for the belt. He was. Numerous analysts were all over, uh, you know, both armchair and, and veteran analysts were saying that Machida had a good chance of defeating Weidman, and he didn't. Vitor, we knew that Vitor was all chemicals and that he was going to get exposed in his fight. That's not to take anything away from Vitor because Vitor's still a solid, a solid fighter. But is he a fighter that should be champion? Absolutely not. It's a different ball game now. This whole TRT shit levels the playing field. And, you know, I've said before, and I said it earlier, you can find ways to skirt the system and you can cheat. And that's great. But you may get caught eventually. It may happen. Val says, good guys don't sell affliction tees. He also said Anderson was doing that shit for a while and Chris was the only one who chin-checked him. Can't you can't deny that you know Anderson Silva clowned a lot of dudes and he his 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 athleticism and his striking capability definitely moved the moved the needle forward and because of that Anderson Silva is considered still one of the greatest pound for pound fighters of all time uh, aside from you know his his drug issues you, you you can't take away the stuff that Anderson Silva did before the leg break or before he got knocked out by Weidman. He did a lot of great things. He, he did a lot of amazing things, and he was an incredible ambassador for the sport in Brazil. Can't take that away from him. But for Bisping to use this stuff and say that Weidman is a circumstantial champion, it's like, dude, if, if you feel that he's such a circumstantial champion, get some wins together and get a fight with him. That's it. And, and between, you know, between me and you guys, I can say it frankly. 
If Bisping fought Weidman, I'd want to see it because Bisping would sell the fuck out of that fight. And he would find a way to try and get under Weidman's skin and the fight would be entertaining. But if you're not out there chaining wins together to get that opportunity, then nobody honestly gives a fuck what you got to say. And I like Bisping. I think Bisping's a cool bad guy. He's a good he's a good villain. But don't don't talk shit if you're nowhere near a title shot cuz everybody's just going to look at you as being a bitter prick. It's like, yo, get some wins together and prove it. Prove that the guy's circumstantial. Because if Rockhold defeats Weidman, it's going to not be circumstantial. It's going to be the better fighter won that day. Simple as that. That's all I'm saying. While we are on the subject of uh, Anderson Silva, his, uh, he actually received his third continuance from the Nevada State Athletic Commission complaint against him over his failed drug test at UFC 183 still. So Silva, of course, faces a formal suspension, fines, and, of course, the overturning of his win at the hearing after he reportedly failed the out-of-competition test before his UFC 183 fight in which he defeated Nick Diaz. The continuance is to allow his legal team to present a full defense. The hearing will most likely take place within the next two months. Anderson Silva has previously said that he ordered the testing of several medications and supplements he took while recovering from his broken leg at UFC 168. The test found two steroids and two anti-anxiety medications. He has denied taking any banned substances. So there you have it. A continuance on that case and hopefully within the next two months, we'll find out if Anderson Silva is going to get that win with Nick Diaz erased and if he will get suspended. On the Bellator side of things, two fighters from Bellator tested positive for banned substances. Mike Richmond tested positive for a performance-enhancing drug when he fought Eduardo Dantas in the co-main event of Bellator 137 on May 15th. The California State Athletic Commission um, has confirmed the news, and he announced that Richmond will be fined. $2,500 and suspended for two years. Eduardo Dantes did win the fight via unanimous decision, so no change for the record will need to be made. Um, another one of the fighters on that card, Fernando Gonzalez, also tested positive, and he only, it was only for marijuana. He was fined $1,500, but no, length, um, no news with regards to the length of his, the length of his suspension were released. So there you have it, guys. That is all the MMA news for this week. Things were a little quieter than usual. Of course, like I said, Kane and Verdum square off this weekend to unify the heavyweight title. We'll be talking about that next Wednesday night. But until then, let's switch gears and jump into this week's wrestling. Booker T, what time is it? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! All right, as always, My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code WWESAVE10. And, of course, keep it locked on RageWorks.net for other promo codes and specials courtesy of WWE Shop. All right, so let's jump into it with Raw this week. Of course, this was the last Raw before the money in the bank 
I guess, pay-per-view. And before I even get into Raw, that's something that a lot of people have been talking about. You really don't have pay-per-views per se anymore. Everything is on the network. So do you call it a special event? Um, it, it's just it's just weird. And I know that they're still being given... Uh, the, fight, the, the matches are being given via certain uh, pay-per-view providers. But the bulk of the people I know personally have the network. So what do you call it at this point? Do you call it a special event? I mean, I've heard that that's the jargon that WWE likes to use for that being a special event. I'm kind of stuck on pay-per-view, but um, I'm curious. I'm curious to where you guys, um, you guys stand with regards to that. In any case, let us talk about Raw this week. So it was the last Raw before Money in the Bank, and as usual, um, there was a very, very big hype machine going into this this episode of Raw. Obviously, with Kevin Owens' uh, collision course with John Cena pretty much guaranteed at Money in the Bank, we knew that we were going to see both competitors this week. And actually, they both opened up Raw, and it led to an NXT open title challenge, which, of course, was answered by Neville. Now, one of the things I got to say that's been bugging me as of late, Neville's been on the main roster a couple of months now. You call him the man that gravity forgot. Great. Call Every time he comes out, you're like the new sensation. It's like the guy hasn't been a new sensation in months. He's been on the roster. You could just call him the man that gravity forgot. Like every time it's said, it just feels weird. I'm like, yo, the guy's not a quote unquote new sensation. He's been on the roster for a minute. Just the man that gravity forgot and let's keep it moving. But in any case, him and Kevin Owens again delivered a stellar, stellar match. We got to see a lot of great um, offense from Adrian Neville as usual. And of course, Kevin Owens was delivering typical Kevin Owens offense. But again, Neville looked really good in that in that exchange with him. And even though he was on the losing end, it was an incredibly competitive match, which I've talked to a couple of people and I've said that Adrian Neville, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose... These are the guys that are going to be main eventing WrestleMania and, and, and countless other pay-per-views or special events for the foreseeable future. These are going to be the kids. The, these are going to be the, the wrestlers that our children are going to be talking about the same way we've talked about the Stone Cold Steve Austins, the Rocks, the Hulk Hogan's, the Macho Man Randy Savages. We're going to be talking about all those guys, and our kids are going to be talking about guys like Adrian Neville, who, again, the guy, everybody says it. Oh, you know, Adrian Neville, he looks like he looks like a kid next to a lot of these guys. But he goes out there and delivers stellar matches. And above all, he is entertaining. You don't need him to come out there and cut an amazing promo because the guy's wrestling just steals your breath away. I know people that have watched him wrestle and they're like, holy shit, like this guy's in a league of his own. And it's crazy because this is a guy who, again, honed his craft on the independent scene Came, into, came in through NXT, came in through the WWE developmental program and impressed everybody with his, with his athleticism and amazing, amazing aerial moves. But again, this is a guy that's not a rookie. He's been on the independence. He's been honing his craft. It's just he got on the WWE's radar. And because of that, because of the independence, and I say this all the time, that's why I tell our listeners often Support your independent wrestling promotions, your local promotions, because you never know who's going to be the next Neville 
or the next Seth Rollins or the next Roman Reigns or the next, um, you know, Kevin Owens or Sami Zayn. Well, Roman Reigns, not so much, but let's let's switch that the next Dean Ambrose. And that's what I'm saying. You know, these guys, they went out there. They had an amazing match. The crowd was on the edge of their seats, and it really was one of the high points of the evening. Now, we go from that to what I like to say was the low point, and that was Nikki Bella and Summer Rae. Now, obviously, Summer Rae, Summer Rae was name-dropped during Paige's promo last week. So, of course, it would be a no-brainer to put Prissy Hen in there with Nikki Bella in a match that was abysmal. And it's weird because everybody says and everybody talks about how Summer Rae was this really, really solid hand in NXT. I'm still waiting to see that. I'm still waiting for it because definitely no kind of no kind of solid wrestling was at play there. And I've said this before. I don't expect Nikki Bella to carry Summer Rae to a match. And I don't expect Summer Rae to carry Nikki Bella to a match because neither one of them have you know, that ring general at, you know, that ring generalness that guys like stone cold or triple H or just veterans have. Like if you want to talk about divas that were ring generals, I'd say Trish Stratus, uh, Lita to a degree, uh, ivory, uh, jazz, miss Jacqueline. Those were, those were women that could go in there and get good matches out of Barbie dolls any day of the week out of this new crop of divas. There's I'm still waiting for a diva to to come out and consistently have a good match with both the good divas and even get good matches out of the shitty ones. Because I'll be honest, that is not something that we've been seeing on WWE programming. On the contrary, NXT has been where divas wrestling or women's wrestling has really flourished because the crazy thing was even on TNA, um, you know, on the TNA side of things, everybody was, you know, everybody was saying to themselves that, oh, TNA is, is, is killing it right now. And they were. But the thing that got me about TNA is the fact that TNA's women's wrestling took a big hit over the last couple of months because a lot of their really, really solid wrestlers left or they went to other promotions like ODB. ODB, even though she didn't have the, the most appeasing look, depending on who you ask, still could go out there and mix it up on a really, really solid level. Or if you go and you want to see um, Mickey James. Mickey James has kind of been on and off, on and off, but Mickey James is still a solid talent. Gail Kim, she's feuding with, with, with Taryn Terrell and, and the Dollhouse, and it's... It, it kind of is a throwback to, you know, bra and panty matches and shit like that. We're not seeing the level of wrestling that we were getting out of TNA Impact back in the day. And on the Raw side of things, they're just, they're just, they just can't get it together. I think if you are a fan of women's wrestling, you're going to have to probably watch it on NXT. That's pretty simple. That, that's it. Anyway, moving on. Randy Orton and Sheamus, a match that we've seen, I think, three times already, is about as enjoyable as watching paint dry, which is what it was. Now, the other match that truly served as a high point for me was Eric Rowan and Luke Harper's match against the Matatodes or the Matadores or the Matadors, depending on how you want to look at them. And the reason I say that is because 
Harper and Rowan actually executed a 3D. Now, of course, everybody that is well-versed in their wrestling history quickly jumped on social media, and they're like, holy shit, Harper and Rowan just did the 3D on, on as their finisher. And I'm like, yeah, it's about right. So, of course, Bully Ray from Team 3D or Bubba Ray, depending on, on when, you, when you came into wrestling, um, voiced his displeasure at Harper and Rowan using the 3D. And, of course, there was a lengthy exchange between the two of them. Whether that leads to them feuding for real remains to be seen. But shit, I would not, I would definitely not miss uh, a Team 3D mixing it up with Harper and Rowan. Definitely would not miss that because that's some shit that's worth checking out. Plain and simple. Uh, the other, the other thing I did want to say about that match is that Harper and Rowan individually were just floundering in the mid card. Putting them back together gives us a viable tag team and gives tag team wrestling a kick in the ass. And that is something, ladies and gentlemen, that that division surely, surely needs. The other, the other match that I did want to talk about, and the reason I say this was because I really felt that they did something very, very good with this match, is J&J Security and Seth Rollins. The reason that I have to say that this match was a high point for me was because Seth Rollins... And J&J Security both put together a solid match. And the reason I say that is because J&J Security, and I said this in my 3Rs column, was not playing the stooge role. They were actually pissed off guys that felt that they were part of Seth Rollins' success and that they've been humiliated and embarrassed long enough. And of course, Seth Rollins definitely was the, the dominant performer in that match. But what I want to acknowledge is the fact that the commentators were really trying to go out of their way, which is a rarity, to make J&J Security look like veteran wrestlers who, you know, have just been saddled with, 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 with shitty circumstances. And I'll be honest, Jamie Noble is a solid, solid wrestler. You could look up his work on the independents and in numerous promotions, and you'll see that Jamie Noble definitely knows how to get the job done in the ring. Joey Mercury as well, a, a solid performer, a great tag team specialist, and as I mentioned in my three R's column, if they were smart, they'd take Noble and Mercury. And, you know, when they break them away from Rollins, you'd put them together as a tag team. I think that the technical and high-flying capabilities of both of those guys would mesh well together in the current tag team landscape. Not only that, but even if you didn't want to separate them from the authority, you would allow them to make a run at the tag team titles and perhaps take the belts for, you know, take the tag team belts to the authority. Again, angle advancement, utilizing the talent you have, and doing more with them aside from making them stooges. And that's something that I felt has hurt Rollins over the last couple of months, but they're trying to turn that around. They're trying to make that actually part of the story. But if they wanted to do something more significant, they'd take Noble and Mercury and allow them to wrestle as a tag team because I think that they could definitely do pretty well in a division that's a little light even now, especially with Tyson Kidd on the shelf. Anyway, as a Raw that leads to a quote-unquote pay-per-view or special event, it was it was decent. It was passable. It definitely was not great. There were more low points than high points, but nonetheless, we do have money in the bank this weekend, and we're going to get into that in a moment. All right, 
So let me run through the rest of the wrestling news for the week, and I'll give you guys my picks for Money in the Bank. Uh, first up, on the injury side of things, Sami Zayn is expected to be out till October. Um, he had the surgery last week to repair his shoulder, and as of right now, it appears that there is a TV special set for October 7th. So who knows? We may see Zayn back by then. If not, we will see him at some point in October, maybe in November. Who knows? Perhaps Survivor Series. But in any case, his shoulder surgery was a success, and we will see him back in the fall. Another wrestler that a lot of websites have been talking about being on WWE's radar has been uh, New Japan and uh, Ring of Honor's own AJ Styles. And I say this because many of you probably know AJ Styles' body of work from TNA and his lengthy career there, but AJ Styles has always been an incredible wrestler and a solid hand. And whenever it's been brought up that AJ Styles is passed over by WWE for his look or whatever, it always bothers me because I feel that AJ Styles can probably bring a can, he can probably bring something unique and interesting to the company, especially now that they're embracing the guys that aren't so big, that aren't so, you know, that that aren't jacked up guys, that are guys that are more technically proficient and can still deliver solid spots when necessary. AJ Styles is one of those guys, and he's been killing it in New Japan. I actually saw one of his uh his match when he won the New Japan title from Kazuchika Okada on New Japan Pro Wrestling on Access, and it was an amazing, amazing match. Plus, his work in Ring of Honor is 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 top notch as well. Now, the funny thing was that TNA reached out to him, and they're like, "Hey, you know, we want you back. We'll um, give you a couple of dates." We'll put you in the TNA Hall of Fame, et cetera, et cetera. And he actually said no to the deal. He said that he didn't want to go back to TNA because he didn't want to uh, hinder his commitments to Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And the crazy thing is that a lot of people have been saying that, what about NXT? And he actually addressed that, which is crazy. And he said, the first thing I'm going to do is what's best for me and my family. That's what I'm going to do. People know I was in TNA, but I don't want people to think that I was just a TNA guy. They see me as a New Japan guy now or a Ring of Honor guy. I had to work to make sure that I wasn't just a TNA guy to get my product being AJ Styles out there again. But at the end of the day, I say whatever's best for me and my family, I'll do. This is a business. Despite what people may think, AJ left TNA. This is a job. I thought I deserved a little bit more for all the stuff I did. You know, any business and to not get paid what I think I deserve would be dumb. You don't work hard to take a step down. You work hard to take a step up. I went out and found a step up in the wrestling business. And if there's another opportunity to step up, then I'll do that. And again, I got to commend AJ Styles. He's a guy who's pretty much been very forthcoming with stuff like that. And I think he's been, like I said, he's been killing it in New Japan with the Bullet Club whose shirt I am wearing, and um, he's been crushing it in Ring of Honor as well. And, you know, Donnie from Tumbling with Tumbleweed said, AJ would kill it, not as a face or a heel, but as a guy in the middle or a tweener. I have to agree with Donnie. I think bringing him in as an enigma and not as a, as a clear face or a clear heel would definitely get fans involved. And he has, again, just a tremendous moveset between the Pele soccer kick, um, you know, his spiral tap finisher, the Styles Clash, the Calf Killer Submission. AJ Styles, especially this current incarnation, would be a sight to see mixing it up with some of the guys in NXT. I mean, him and Finn Balor or even him and Samoa Joe, which are matches 
that we've all talked about and we've seen. I mean, him and Samoa Joe alone have had amazing stellar matches during the TNA run for both of those guys. So we'll see what happens. I mean, AJ right now, like I said, currently in New Japan and currently with Ring of Honor, but that may change. I mean, Samoa Joe was currently with uh, Ring of Honor and is now an NXT product, so who knows? We may we may be watching an NXT TakeOver one day, and AJ Styles may come in there and deliver a Styles Clash on someone. We'll see what happens, but again, continue to support these other promotions because who knows? Maybe those stars will be the next faces you see on NXT, Raw, or SmackDown. All right, so... The other thing I wanted to talk about, and I actually shared this on our social media pages, was WWE um, reaching a milestone of half a billion, uh, five billion uh, followers across social media. So for those of you that are curious about how that breaks down, I want to actually share that with you guys, because the reason I say this is because social media for pro wrestling has been both a gift and a curse, but its impact cannot be ignored. It's one of the few times when when wrestling fans can truly interact with performers and organizations. And sometimes they're successful in their interactions, sometimes they're not. But it's a great way to gauge what's working and what's not. Of course, creative will never admit that, but it is something worth noting. In any case, on Facebook alone, WWE has 354 million total likes, including 98 million new likes, which is an increase of 38% year over year on the Twitter side of things. They have 108 million total followers, including 18 million new followers. That's an increase of 20% year over year. Instagram, of course, which is the new social media of choice for many of us, uh, 26 million total followers, including 25 million new followers. That's an increase of 2,955% year over year. Of course, this is partially because Instagram just took off and became this this really, really viable platform between the video and all the filters and, of course, its relationship with Facebook. Instagram definitely has been a big vehicle for WWE. And, of course, YouTube, which can never ignore 6.2 million total subscribers. That includes 2.8 million new subscribers, which is an 82% increase year over year. Now, WWE has won awards for their social media presence, including the overall Social Media Excellence Award and the Social Media Dream Team at the Synopsis Sports Media Awards and the 2015 Cable Facts Digital Awards. Now, the crazy thing is that WWE's 12 social media platforms include Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, Periscope, Google+, Vine, Foursquare, Tumblr, Feed, and Pinterest. But The numbers that matter most are the four from the four social media accounts that I just mentioned. Now, I'm going to pose this to you guys in the um, in the group and possibly in the fan page. I really am curious as to how you guys keep up with WWE or pro wrestling. Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it specific websites? Is it both? I definitely want to hear that from you guys, because I'm just curious to see how that factors in in terms of a social media footprint for pro wrestling. We'll discuss that, like I said, in the group, possibly on our fan page, and I'll share the results with you guys next week. All right, so we got money in the bank this weekend. Really, really, and as much as people don't want to acknowledge it, it is a very, very 
important card. And the reason I say that is because the person who wins that briefcase is a guy who is going to be a bona fide main eventer or is going to get that chip sooner rather than later. So let's talk about these matches. R-Truth and King Barrett was added uh, earlier this week. I believe it was on SmackDown. If so, my apologies for the spoiler. Of course, my pick for that match is going to be King Barrett. And I say this just because it's funny that R-Truth and King Barrett are having this match. And, you know, it's it's strictly for shits and giggles. But I know that it's going to help keep King Barrett out there. R-Truth is a solid hand. And I think he's going to have a good match with his Royal Highness, the deliverer of bad news. John Cena and Kevin Owens match for me is a toss up for a couple of reasons. Creative could go the route of allowing John Cena to get his win back. That could happen. Or Kevin Owens can see himself on the verge of losing and get himself disqualified. Or there could be shenanigans and interference, which of course would give Cena the victory but Kevin Owens would still remain strong. Going in that direction, I am going to say that Kevin Owens will win the battle, but not the war. Meaning, Cena will probably come away with the victory on paper, but it will not be a clean pinfall because they want to keep Kevin Owens' momentum going. Meaning, my pick is going to be Cena, but not by clear victory. Cena via either DQ or... Uh, Kevin Owens getting himself disqualified or um, DQ because of interference. So one of those two are going to lead to Cena getting the pinfall. It will not be a clean pinfall. Obviously, if I'm wrong, we will address that next week. Uh, The Divas title match, Nikki Bella and Paige. The safe safe bet is that they'll keep it on Nikki Bella. But given that Paige is involved in Tough Enough, I don't see Paige winning it because it's going to take away from her involvement on that show, because if she's not going to be on TV every week to be working on tough enough, you're going to, you're going to want the champion out there, but stranger things have happened. In any case, my pick is going to be Nikki Bella to retain, but only because of the fact that they have no other choice in the matter. The IC title match with Ryback and the big show. I'm going to go Ryback on this one. And the reason I say I was, uh, I'm a little upset with this match is because when they had Miss TV on raw, they um they had Ryback and Big Show up there, and Ryback delivered the shell shock on the Big Show. My issue with this is the fact that that's a very, very cool spot, a very great spot, and a spot that'll get a tremendous pop from the crowd, and you essentially gave that spot away on the Miz's stupid-ass segment during Raw, when you could have saved that as a match finisher or even just a moment where the crowd could just lose their shit. Definitely poor form, But I know that Ryback didn't go through all this trouble to win the title for them to take it away from him right away. I'm sure they're going to have a hard-hitting match, but Ryback will come out victorious. The uh, primetime players will be taking on the New Day in their WWE Tag Team title match. As much as I would love the PTP to get the belts, I think that the viable option is to keep the titles on the New Day only because they are some hateable motherfuckers right now. And because of that, you'll be able to leverage that with some of the other teams. Again, love the primetime players. I think they would make great champions, but unfortunately, it will be a new day of tag team champions this Sunday. All right, money in the bank ladder match. Let's get to it. Dolph Ziggler, Neville, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, Kofi Kingston, Sheamus, and of course, Kane. Now, the thing that gets me with this match 
Um, <laughs> I just got a communique uh, from Blackstone. I'm, I'm going to use that as his alias. Uh, I'm going to use uh, a communique from Blackstone. Ryback versus Big Slow equals... Brother, you are no, you are not wrong in the least. That is a fucking snooze fest in a half. All right, so with regards to this ladder match, I, I hate to say it, but Roman Reigns is winning this briefcase. <laughs> Simple as that. I hate to say it. And the reason is because they're going to do it this way because they're not cramming Roman Reigns down everyone's throat. They've kind of, they've kind of taken the, the foot off the gas, so to speak, and have allowed him to kind of grow into his own character. Sure, we'd love for it to be Dolph Ziggler. Because every, you know, everybody feels that Ziggler's going to be that guy. But with only one heavyweight title nowadays, I hate to say it, but Roman Reigns is going to be that guy. And it's going to soften the blow, and the crowd is going to be less upset because he's going to be competing in a match with a lot of great talent. I know for a fact that we're going to see something crazy from Neville. I know that we're going to see Dolph Ziggler selling like a motherfucker. I know somebody's eating an RKO off the ladder. And above all else, probably new feuds will be established after this match. But I got to say that the Money in the Bank winner will most likely be Roman Reigns because that's what's really best for business behind the scenes. I know that some of you guys are probably... Like, Rich is full of shit. He's wrong. We'll see what happens this Sunday, but it's probably going to be Reigns. As for the World Heavyweight title ladder match, we all, in a, in a perfect world, would love to see Dean Ambrose as champion, but unfortunately, that will not be the case. Rollins will retain, and it will continue to build towards his inevitable collision course with one Brock Lesnar. All right, so with that said, Let's get into this week's question of the week that I posed in our Facebook group. I asked many of you, which was the wrestler or match that got you into pro wrestling? And for the MMA fans, which fighter or fight got you into MMA? Before I read the responses we got in the group, I'll let you guys know. What got me into pro wrestling was Hogan and Macho Man. They were the number one and the number two that got me into pro wrestling. Hogan, of course, with his larger-than-life persona, and Macho Man, because watching a guy deliver an elbow off the top rope when you're six years old is fucking awesome. (laughs) On the MMA side of things, I gotta say it's probably Ken Shamrock in the original UFC and Hoist Gracie, who was going out there and using his gi to choke motherfuckers unconscious. Ken Shamrock, of course, with his intensity and just incredible, incredible fighting spirit, in all his matches. I mean, going in there and fighting two, three times a night was just insane. And when you're watching that as, as, a, t- as a young teenager, it just blows your mind because you're talking to a guy that's watched, you know, whose favorite movies are movies like Bloodsport, Kickboxer, uh, The Quest, you know, all those great movies. You know, I love Bruce Lee movies. I love Kung Fu flicks. And seeing something like that in the real world was just insane in the old UFC days. You see something like that, and it's just like, holy shit. You know, you got guys with sneakers fighting guys without sneakers, guys with geese fighting guys without geese, dudes that just come off the bar stool and come out there and put people to sleep. I mean, it was it was insane. It was like a real life Kumite when you're a kid watching that. So definitely Ken Shamrock was that guy. And even with his fight next week with Kimbo Slice, you know, I, I like Kimbo. Kimbo's a cool dude. I think, you know, he's a he's um, made himself a household name. 
fucking people up in the street, and, and that's cool. But, you know, Ken Shamrock, Ken Shamrock is the real deal. Ken Shamrock will probably be fucking people up at the age of 100 if he lives that long. That's, that's one thing that I've always felt was, was what set him apart from so many other guys. Anyway, let's read some of the other responses. Our very own Jay Santi said that he got into wrestling watching it with his uncle, and the wrestlers that got him into it were Bruno San Martino, Pedro Morales, and superstar Billy Graham. He also added that his uncle loved to watch Larry Zabisco, which um, Larry Zabisco was a hateable motherfucker back in the day. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely crazy. Uh, communicate from Blackstone, his, uh, his MMA fighter of choice was Mark Kerr, the smashing machine. I, I could see that Mark Kerr was, was, oh, oh my God. Like if you watch his documentary, you're like, holy shit, this guy, this guy is, 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 is a monster. That's a that's a great choice. Mark Kerr definitely on that list. Um, Dark Helmet said uh, Hulk Hogan was his choice. Uh, Jason Lee added that it was Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper, and their feud was the first that I remembered. I like both guys. I was a huge fan of Roddy Piper's intensity as a kid. Also, I was a big fan of Hogan, Macho Man, and Jake the Snake, who were some of my favorites early on. Macho Man reminded me of my dad. And Jake the Snake reminded me of my uncle. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, he also added on the MMA side, Don Fry and his quick beatdown of Thomas Ramirez at UFC 8. David versus Goliath is probably what got me into MMA. I took martial arts as a kid, and it always interests me. But I specifically remember watching that fight on VHS. Yeah, Don Fry, most epic mustache in the game. Another, another hardcore old-school dude that would just beat you to death. Um, uh, you know, I, I almost would have said Don Fry or Mark Coleman, but Ken Shamrock always jumped out to me. And I mean, his crossover to wrestling also was a, was a big part of me picking him as, as a guy that really got me into MMA, but he really was that guy that transcended both sports and really put mixed martial arts in front of everybody. I mean, you could say Dan Severn as well, but Dan Severn didn't come into WWE until Ken Shamrock got there first. Christian adds, I think for me it would be The Rock cutting promos during the boom of the Attitude Era and Goldberg demolishing dudes in WCW. In MMA, it was Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz. When Chuck teed off on Tito, that was epic. Also, Rampage slamming Ricardo Arona was fucking crazy and Fedor in general. He also added, I don't think Fedor gets enough credit for how great he was. This is true. Fedor, Fedor was a guy that, that even now, removed from the sport for years, will probably tap you out with his eyes closed. Uh, Dwayne says, The Undertaker got me into wrestling when I was four years old. As for MMA, I didn't really watch it. But if I had to say anybody, it would be Chuck and Randy. Uh, Chuchi adds, Jeff Hardy during the Attitude Era. And for MMA, Chuck Liddell. So there you have it. A lot of, a lot of great responses for the question of the week, which we are implementing in the, um, in the group. Blackstone adds Road Warriors, Macho Man, and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Definitely um, all solid wrestlers. I mean, the Doomsday Device, the Road Warriors' entire look uh, definitely was. I, I actually will say this. My first exposure to WCW, not wrestling, but WCW came courtesy of the Road Warriors. And the reason that that happened was because I remember playing WrestleFest in an arcade when they were known as the Legion of Doom. And a friend of mine in one of my classes was like, yeah, those guys used to be 
they used to wrestle for this other place. And I remember they used to give WCW on some some obscure channel, and I saw them there. Um, again, just just really crazy stuff. I mean, definitely my first exposure to WCW came courtesy of the Road Warriors. So um, definitely got to put that anecdote out there. Anyway, with that said, we're going to wrap up this week's show. Before we close things out, a couple of things I got to tell you guys. Episode uh, 298 is tomorrow. 299 is Wednesday, the 17th of June. There will be no show on the 18th as we will be covering Pepcom. Uh, the week of the June 22nd, there will be no shows. Uh, we'll be covering Consumer Electronics Week. Obviously, follow us on social media to see all our coverage from that event. Plus, I, uh, I'll be turning one year older, so I need a bit of a break. MTR 300 will broadcast live July 1st at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, as always, on mtrlive.com. All right, with that said, we're going to wrap up this week's show. Thank you guys always for tuning in and your continued support. So with that, let's take it away, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 297, which broadcasted live Wednesday, June 10th, 2015. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, Drop me a line, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. You can also find us on social media. You can look for My Take Radio on Facebook and Twitter. And also you can get the archived video feed, excuse me, on our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash TV. You can also find it on our Rageworks channel, which is youtube.com forward slash official Rageworks. Archived audio episodes of the show are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio and are usually uploaded within 24 to 48 hours of the end of the live broadcast. So, with that said, before you guys go to ask me when it's going to be uploaded, we finish broadcasting on Thursday, so you should see the show by no later than Saturday. Usually, like I said, 24 to 48 hours. All right, let's get the hell out of here. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Join us later today for our gaming and entertainment edition of My Take Radio at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. I am out of here. Peace. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>